It is so good to be back in Monroeville. So good to be back at First Baptist. See so many familiar faces. Thank you so much for inviting us back. What a, what a great day celebrating 50 years in this sanctuary. 50 years of worshiping and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ here. And also celebrating homecoming with the Reunion Choir. And what weren't they great? I tell you what, wonderful. Appreciate, appreciate the instrumentalists, the choir. Thank you, Glenn. Good to be back with you. Micah, thank you so much for your leadership. And I just praise God for you and Cheryl and your family and how God is using you as the pastor of this church. And Jason, where is Jason? Always back in the back. Yeah, right? He may walk out on me in a minute. Always good to, to be with Jason and, and to see all of you. And I hope that when we have the meal together, you'll hang around so Jane and I can kind of rekindle some old friendships that we've had in the past. We had a lot of wonderful memories of our time with you. Four and a half, almost five years here at First Baptist Monroeville. I was thinking about those memories and then began to look at you and as we shook hands with folks before the service and looking out at you. Went through a lot of good times together. Went through some tough times together as well. But some great times. One of the most wonderful memories I think that Jane and I have of this church was in December of 2005 when our daughter Lindsay was married here. And this church is always so beautifully decorated at Christmas. We didn't have to do much decorating. It was already looking good. And uh, it was just a, a joy to let y'all love on us and serve us and minister to us. Handbells played. It was, a, it was a great time. Let me tell you about our children. Speaking of Lindsay, Lindsay and her husband Eric, uh, they now live in LaGrange, Georgia. Been there about four years. They have two daughters. Yes, we're, we're grandparents. I know we don't look old enough to be grandparents, but we are. Virginia is five. Charlotte is two, and in about three weeks, Lindsay is about to give birth to another little girl. So Sadie, Sadie Francis, and we're excited about that. And pray for Eric, as he has all those women in the house. <laughs> and speaking of Eric, we have another Eric in our family, our son Eric. How could you forget him? <laughs> no, nobody has forgotten Eric. A lot of people have asked, where is Eric and we're asking the same question. No, no, really. We know where he is. He, he was in Birmingham. But he's back out in Portland, Oregon. Good place for Eric. Out on the left coast. I mean, the west coast. He is just, this is the truth. He's just finishing college. He will graduate at the end of August, we pray, from Portland State. Uh, Eric's been on the 12-year plan, and uh, we praise God that he's finally graduated. Keep praying for Eric. We love him. You can't help but love Eric. Uh, and, and, and Glenn, we could have some Eric stories, but I need to preach, right? And then Rachel has just graduated from Auburn University, and we praise God. Miracles still happen. Rachel is a college graduate. And we're delighted for her. She has sensed the call into children's ministry. And she is now serving an internship for this next year at Lakeview Baptist Church 
in Auburn. And so we're just excited about our children, our family. Jane and I are back in South Alabama. We moved back to Op, where we got started many years ago in the Methodist Church. And we're back in Op at Westview Baptist Church in Op. We've been there about a year and a half, pastor there. And Jane is still in the school system. She's working as a bookkeeper at Zion Chapel School, which is located between Elba and Troy. Enough about us. Let's go to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles with you, or Pew Bible, open up your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Peter. Peter's first epistle. He wrote two letters, two epistles. 1 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to look together at verses 3 through 7. And if you're physically able, out of reverence to the Lord and to His Word, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Peter writes as follows, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the return and at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May God add his blessings this morning to the reading and hearing of this his holy, his inspired, his infallible word. Amen. Remain standing. Let's pray together. Father, take your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. May it permeate our hearts. Change us, O God. May we be different people when we leave than we were when we got here. Do what only you can do. For I pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At the end of World War II, a U.S. Navy submarine was coming back to its home port in Newport News, Virginia. As it was getting into the harbor there at Newport News, Something happened, something terribly occurred. And that submarine that was already surfaced began to sink. And it very quickly sank to the ocean floor there on the harbor. And immediately, divers dove down to where the submarine was to find out what was wrong. And to make sure that, that no life would be lost. And one of the divers, as he was walking around on the hull of the submarine, trying to figure out what the problem was, he heard a tapping. And the tapping was in Morse code. And immediately he realized what was going on. One of the sailors inside that submarine, trapped in there, was trying to get a message to that diver and he tapped out on the side of that 
submarine. The message. Is there any hope? And you know what? That's a message that a lot of people are asking today. All over this country. And all over this world. Can I tell you? The United States is a lot different in 2014 than it was in 1964. And there are a lot of people asking that question. Is there any hope? Maybe some of you have asked that question. Maybe not out loud lately. But in your minds, in your hearts, asking, is there any hope? Now, what is hope? Before we can really talk about what hope is, we need to first realize what hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not optimism. Now, what's the difference between hope and optimism? Optimism is psychological. Optimism is based on the way you think. But hope, is not psychological. Hope is not about positive thinking. Hope is based on the Word of God. Hope is based on the authority and the truth of this book. And you remember what I said after I read it? Same thing I said every Sunday when I was your pastor. This is the infallible, inerrant Word of God, all truth without any mixture of error and this is a good time for God's people to say amen now optimism many times can be a denial of reality looking at life looking at things through rosy tinted glasses saying oh it's not so bad when things really are bad but hope does not deny reality hope is honest hope is straightforward when things are bad hope says it's bad but hope says It may be bad, but God is in control. And even in the midst of my bad stuff, God is sovereign and God is in control and God is on the throne. And that's why today I want to talk to you about hope. A lot of times when we say hope, we mean it. Well, maybe so. I think so. Kind of like the the Gator football team. You think they might win more than four games? Hope so. Maybe so. Yeah, I'm still pulling for them. Not for Will Muschamp, but for the Gators, all right? I better get off of football, hadn't I? But hope in the Scriptures is not like that. It is a certainty. Like that old hymn, I stand on the promises of God. I stand on the promises of this book. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, I read a moment ago from 1 Peter. Once you get your Bibles back out, we're going to walk through 1 Peter chapter 1, the first few verses of the first chapter. Now, the book of 1 Peter is called the letter of hope. Now, Peter wrote this first epistle somewhere around A.D. 60, A.D. 61, A.D. 62 to Christians who were living in Rome. 
and they were undergoing great persecution by one of the worst of all the Roman emperors, a man by the name of Nero. Nero hated Christians. He was feeding Christians to the lions. Up and down the Appian Way there in Rome, you could see Christians being nailed to cross after cross after cross. And at night, when Nero had his garden parties, he used Christians as human torches. He would literally set them on fire and they would be torches in his garden parties. It was a terrible time of persecution and suffering. And those are the people that Peter wrote this letter to. And all throughout 1 Peter, he's saying, don't give up. Yes, you're going through hard times. Yes, you're suffering. Yes, you're struggling. Yes, you're being persecuted. Don't give up. Have hope. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is take just verses 3 through 7 and share with you three reasons why If we're followers of Christ, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus, we need to have hope. Even though things are tough today, it's not the same world that it was in 1964. Even though a lot of people around us are giving up and are throwing in the towel and are feeling hopeless. Three reasons why we as followers of Christ at First Baptist Church, Monroeville, Alabama, Rededicating this sanctuary should have great hope. The first reason we can have hope is because of the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. Look with me at the first part of verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Be born again. In 1964, that phrase was used a lot, wasn't it? People talked a lot about being born again, being saved. We don't hear that too much anymore, do we? You know what? We need to be talking about being born again and salvation and being saved again. Not only do we need to be talking about it, we need to be sharing Christ to a lost world. Jane and I went to Baltimore, Maryland the early part of June, to the Southern Baptist Convention. One of the things that those of us at the Southern Baptist Convention this year recommitted ourselves to, just like we're rededicating this sanctuary, and I want you to recommit yourself to this as well, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, to be great commission Christians, to share our faith, to share the gospel to a lost world and, and and not be afraid to say if you don't know Christ you are lost because you know what Jesus Christ is the only hope we have and unless we place our faith and trust in him for salvation as savior and lord there is no hope for us in this life or in the life to come i don't care what the culture is saying I don't care what the politically correct folks are saying. My Bible tells me that Jesus Christ is still the only way to God. Amen. And Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. 
Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now notice here in verse 3, Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now what is mercy? Mercy is something you get that you don't deserve. Take Glenn, for instance. Glenn was getting his picture taken the other day. Did you know about that? And just before the photographer snapped his picture, you know what Glenn said? He said, come on. I I hope you do me justice. To which the photographer said, Glenn, you don't need justice. You need mercy. I got the last laugh today, didn't I? I heard about all that stuff he said about me. Glenn, we all need mercy, don't we? The mercy of God through Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is about. Getting what we don't deserve. You see, the Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is no one righteous. No, not one. And the Bible says as sinners, we all deserve death and hell. But by trusting in Christ, that's the message of salvation. That's the message that was preached here 50 years ago. That's the message that continues to be preached here under the the ministry of Micah. The message that always needs to be preached until Jesus comes back. Mercy through him. And by trusting him as Lord and Savior. We would have life now and life forever. But Peter gives us a second reason why we can have hope. And that's not only because of our salvation, but also because of our sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? You see, we are saved in a moment. Sanctification occurs throughout our lives. From the moment of salvation until the moment we see Christ face to face. We are in the sanctification process. What is sanctification? It is growing in Christ, becoming more like Jesus. And how are we sanctified? Through the Word, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in and through us. But can I tell you one of the ways in which sanctification occurs the most in most of our lives? That's through pain and difficulty and troubles and trials. And I think most of you would agree with me. Most of us have grown far more in our walk with Jesus in the bad times than in the good times. And I know for me, it's taken trials. It's taken pain. It's taken hurt. It's taken hardship to make me more and more like Jesus and I've still got a long way to go one of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis and I love C.S. Lewis's quote he says God whispers to us in our pleasure but he shouts to us in our pain and he goes on to say that pain is the megaphone that God uses to get our attention go down with me to verse 7 of our text and in verse 7 Peter writes, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, 
They'd be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the main reasons God allows pain in our lives and trials in our lives is to purify our faith. You never know how genuine your faith is until it's put to the test. Here in verse 7, Paul compare, or rather Peter compares our trials to a goldsmith who is refining gold in the fire. Now, why does the goldsmith refine gold in fire? To purify it? To get out all the dross? To get out all the bad stuff? So that it might become totally pure gold. One time, a goldsmith was asked, tell me, how do you know when the gold is completely pure? How do you know? How do you know that, that, that you've taken that gold through the fire enough that all the impurities, all the dross is gone? You know what his answer was? This is how I know when I can see my reflection in the gold. Hey, you know how other people know that as we've gone through the fire, we've gone through the trials, gone through the pain, that our faith is strengthened and fortified and genuine? You know how they know? Because they can see the reflection of Jesus in our lives. Can I ask you? The people that know you best, can they see the reflection of Jesus in you? You know why we go through the pain? Because he's making us more and more like him. Chipping us away. I want you to turn with me to one of my favorite verses. Probably one of your favorite verses as well. Romans 8.28. Romans 8, 28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And most of us stop right there in verse 28. But verse 29 tells us the purpose for the all things. Verse 29 tells us the purpose why we have to go through the trial. And some of you are struggling greatly right now. Some of your family members are going through difficult times. Why? What's the purpose? What's the reason? Why is God allowing this in your life? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's the answer. To be conformed to the image of His Son. God's allowing this in your life so that you might begin to look more and more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. I told you earlier that Jane and I are back in South Alabama. We're in Op, Alabama. We've been at Westview Baptist Church for the past year and a half. Some of you may have heard, I know I came and talked to the senior adults back in the spring, and I told you about one trial that our church has gone through, but we've gone through another one since then. Let me just share with all of you both situations, very sudden deaths of younger people. The first one occurred on January 1st, New Year's Day of this year, 2014. Our minister of missions, a young man by the name of Johnny Warren, he and his wife Amy had just been called to the mission field in Haiti. And they were going to leave us 
in February. So he and his wife and mother and sister and brother-in-law, a bunch of family members and friends from Op went up to West Virginia to ski. Johnny was a great athlete. He was an excellent skier. We still don't know exactly what happened, but he was going down the slope at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and he hit a patch of ice, and he started careening out of control, and he hit a tree and was killed instantly. 30 years old. It just devastated our church. But about three months afterwards, his wife talked to me and she said, Gary, I'm ready to talk to the church. And so it was the Sunday morning before Easter. And she got up. And you know what she said? She said, I don't understand all that's happened. And I certainly would not have wished that this would have occurred. But I want to tell you that God is sovereign. God is in control. And out of this bad, God has brought many great things that's brought him glory. And as a result, I am much more like Christ than I was before. Wow. She got it, didn't she? She understood. Let me tell you another thing that happened. Just, it'll be three weeks tomorrow. One of our younger deacons, a man by the name of David Donaldson, his wife Wendy and their twin children, Seth and Sophie, were driving between Op and Elba. And we still don't know what happened. The accident is still under investigation, but three cars were involved. A place called Danley Crossroads. Wendy and Seth were injured, but not real badly. Sophie immediately was unconscious. They life flattered her from the scene of the accident to a hospital in Dothan. And then in the middle of the night, life flattered her from Dothan to Children's Hospital in Birmingham. And I'll never forget that doctor coming in the next morning. And I was with that family there at Children's Hospital. And they said the, the worst words parents can ever hear. She's had a severe trauma to the brain. And there is no brain activity. Thirteen years old. Beautiful. Going to be a cheerleader. Eighth grade at Op Middle School. And then that family had to decide the next day to take her off of life support and then donate her organs to medical science. And the question that reverberated all around our community and even with that mother and father, why? Why? I talked on the phone last night to Sophie's daddy. He had her funeral on Saturday. Yesterday was two weeks ago glorified the Lord in an incredible way. But like Paul Harvey said, let me tell you the rest of the story. I talked to David last night on the phone about 8 o'clock. And he said, I just want you to know, I don't understand why. But through this, God is being glorified. I know many people are getting closer to Christ, and I'm praying that many are being saved as a result. And he said, I want you to know this, Gary, that I'm much more like Jesus now than I was before the accident. Folks, I don't understand all these things. And some of you have had similar things happen to you. 
when those things happen, we can go in one of two ways. We can either get better or we can get bitter. Amy Warren and David and Wendy Donaldson, they've not gotten bitter, they've gotten better. And I challenge you, say, God, show me. Show me things through this. And through all of this pain, chip away at me and make me more and more and more like Jesus. Hey, God doesn't waste anything. Now, trials, when they're really hard, when they're really difficult, they seem like they're unending, right? They seem like they're, they're, they're never going to get over. But that's not true. What does verse 6 says? In this you rejoice, though now what? For a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by your various trials. What does he say? For a little while. Seems like forever. But it's just a little while. In 2 Corinthians, Paul called them light and momentary afflictions. You see, in comparison to eternity, they're just a drop in the bucket. Amen? They're just like that. At Johnny's funeral and at Sophie's funeral, we close the funerals with the same song. Jane and I, when we were in Baltimore, the worship leader for the pastor's conference was a man by the name of Matt Redman from England. And Matt sang a song called 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Some of you are familiar with that if you listen to contemporary Christian music. And we close both of those funerals with these words. And on that day when my strength is fading, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise forever. 10,000 years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I'll worship your holy name. And this brings us to the third reason that Peter gives us why we can have hope. It's not just because of our salvation. And it's not just because of our sanctification, but it's also because of our glorification in the future in heaven. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I'm looking forward to heaven. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. Listen to what Peter says about that. Go back with me to verse 3. I read earlier the first part. I want to read the whole verse to you now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That living hope. Hope is ours. Why? Because of the gospel. Because Jesus, God in human flesh, He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He, he died for our sins. He drank the cup of God's wrath that we should have drank. He died in our place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the grave. That is our blessed hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, stay with me. I'm almost done. In verse 4, we read these words. He says, To an inheritance. Now, what is an inheritance? It's something you get because you're a part of a family. 
And the same is true for us as children of God. Now notice what kind of inheritance the Lord has promised to us. First, it is an inheritance that is imperishable. That means it's not going to decay. Some of you, maybe your parents or grandparents passed away. And one of the things you got as a result of your inheritance was you got the house. You got the old home place. And that's great, except that house is going to decay. But you know what? We've got an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable. It's also undefiled. That means it's not stained by sin. Sin cannot enter into heaven. It can't. Sin's here, but not in heaven. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful place. And also, it's unfading. That means it's going to last forever. One other song that talks about that is a song written by John Newton. Not this John Newton, but another John Newton. I remember he was up at Fraser Memorial Church in Montgomery. Their pastor, John Ed Matheson, walked up to him and said, I'm John Ed Matheson. And he said, I'm John Newton. And John Ed said, I like your song. John, that is a good song, Amazing Grace. The last stanza goes like this. When we've been there, what? 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. What I love about heaven, what I love about eternal life, it's going to last forever and ever and ever. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of times people will ask me questions. Gary, what is heaven like? And I'll refer them to the Scriptures, and and we'll go over some things the Scriptures say. But you know what? The Bible says some things about heaven, but the Bible doesn't say a lot about heaven. You know why? Because God is a mysterious God. And He wants some things to be a mystery. And, And basically, if He had inspired the human authors of the Bible by His Holy Spirit to write those things down, it would have still been hard to put into words how beautiful, how incredible, how amazing, how wonderful heaven really is. But I guess the best story I've ever heard to illustrate what heaven is like is this story. An old Scottish doctor, he was making house calls back in the old days. And one night he got word that An older man in the community was dying. He was a Christian. And so the Scottish doctor, who was also a Christian, he and his dog went to the farmhouse of that man who was dying. The family was gathered. But when the doctor came in, the family left the bedroom. They all went into the living room. And the doctor went into the bedroom. He left his dog in the living room. And so the doctor goes into the bedroom. It's just the man and the doctor. And the doctor's real honest. He said, uh, John, you're dying. And he said, Doc, I know. He said, but you're a Christian and you know you're going to heaven. The Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. He said, Doc, I know that, but I'm scared. I know I shouldn't be, but I'm frightened. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. And the doctor was silent for a moment about that time. There was a scratching at the door. And the doctor said, you hear that scratching? John said, yeah. The doctor said, 
John, that's my dog. Now, my dog has never been in this bedroom where we are. And even though he's never been in here, he wants to come in here. You know why? Man said, why? He said, because I'm in here. And he wants to be with me. John, I don't know a lot about heaven. But I do know this. Jesus is there. And because Jesus is there, I want to be there. And that's enough. Amen? That's enough. Oh, we're going to get to see our loved ones. And that'll be great. But I want to see Jesus. Remember that old song? I got down on my knees and cried holy. Hey, by the way, Micah, that's a southern gospel song. This man dies and he goes to heaven. And he sees Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these Old Testament saints. And then he sees Peter and Paul and Timothy. And he says, this is wonderful. But I want to see Jesus. I want to see the one who died for me. And when he sees Jesus, he bows down and he worships him. And he says, and I got down on my knees and cried, holy, holy, holy. I'm looking forward to that. That's the blessed hope. And it's ours if we know Christ as Savior and Lord. I want to ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? I'm not saying church membership, that's good, but that won't save you. That won't take you to heaven. It's only a personal relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. I have hope because of my salvation in Jesus. I have hope because of my sanctification in Jesus. And I have hope because of my future glorification in Jesus when I will be like him in heaven.